Today's podcast is brought to you by Vibby.com, the easiest way to make highlight videos on the internet. Go and put in your timestamps of your favorite video and they'll make the highlight for you. It's very easy to use. Just follow the tool tips on Vibby.com and share with your friends and the community that is on that wonderful site. Today's podcast is also brought to you by eSports Fans, one of the premier statistics sites in the League of Legends scene. They break things down in a way that is easy and satisfying for both hardcore and casual fans with nice bar graphs that allow you to compare and contrast your favorite players in the scene. Go to eSports Fans, that's fans with a Z or a Z, depending on whether you studied in the UK like I did. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Retcher King Wassenaar. I am a freelance head coach and writer and host of this Rough Drafts podcast. It is part two of our MSI time period uh, podcast that we're doing. If you wanted to hear Walter and my thoughts on gameplay, you should go check out part one. We focused exclusively on the games. This is for everything else that is surrounding uh, both MSI and the competitive rulings that came through today, uh, that being Monday, May 9th, maybe the end of, uh, of Sunday, May 8th, depending on where you are as far as time zones are concerned. Uh, clearly, a lot of things have been shaken up. There are a lot of opinions across the board, and I am here uh, with two wonderful people to help break all of this down. Uh, of course, I'm joined by my co-host and writer for Slingshot Esports, Walter C.A.D. Svedchuk. Say hi to the nice people at home, Walter. Hi there, everybody. I wish it was on more joyous circumstances. Uh, and and speaking of people wishing we could have them return on more joyous circumstances, we are joined once again by a former Paravine writer and uh, official term now is of happening fan, uh, Thomas Watts. Thomas, how you doing, man? I'm good. It's uh, fr- from the strictly fan. I'm too busy to write too much. The past. Let's call it four days has been uh, very interesting. Put it to you that way. (laughs) (laughs) I think interesting is the greatest way to describe it. And we should start with what we saw directly at MSI. And this was G2 and their decision not to practice heading into the midseason international. Obviously, this was a controversial decision. A lot of fans tore them up on Twitter and on social media in general. There was a pretty harsh reaction, uh, which led to some interesting reactions from players on all sides. Let's start with you, Walter. When you first heard the news that G2 had made the decision to not formally prepare for this tournament, what was going through your mind? Well, I have the very unpopular opinion that MSI, to me, is a worthless tournament. I don't think there is really any value in it. I'm looking at it, of course, the number one uh, seed, the pool one seeds were up for grabs. But at the end of the day, you were going to be put into a bracket anyways. You're still the number one team out of Europe. If you can't beat the number one team in China or Korea, well, maybe you don't deserve to get out of groups. So looking at it as a worthless tournament, I had no problems with them taking a vacation. Um, that slightly then changed 
when I went back and reread and saw that there is a possibility of if they ended in sixth place, then two European seeds would be in the pool three, which was typically for IWC and the three seeds out of North American Europe. And that caused me to pause and say, oh, maybe it's maybe this isn't great. And at the end of the day, it was just kind of a huge amount of hubris from the G2 players and organization to think that supermassive the Turkish team would be absolutely awful and that perhaps one of the other you know, LMS, China, or North American teams would be bad enough that they would just kind of saunter into this tournament and casually grab a pool A seed. Uh, that being said, it is a very, very long season and you're looking at somewhere between seven to eight months straight of, of hardcore practicing, you know, nine to 10 hours a day, games on the weekend with only a day or so break in between. And you are getting ready to shift into the best of two format, which is going to double the amount of games you're playing. So when I come down on it, I don't necessarily think that the vacation was an awful idea, but they have to realize that the, the punishment for doing that could have been much, much worse. Yeah, it's a weird feeling to say that they were lucky to get fifth, but there were times throughout that tournament where it really did feel like this is a team that could finish in last place. If Supermassive had been able to win either one of those games, then this would be the world we live in. And as a European fan, uh, that would be a pretty massive problem. Obviously, there were a lot of European fans who were upset about it just because this is an international tournament and because they expect a certain amount of pride coming in from these teams. So I'm going to ask you, Thomas, since you come from more of this fan perspective, do you think it is fair to dismiss the midseason international as a not that big of a deal tournament? Or do you I, think that the outrage that came after is, is fair given uh, what's maybe at stake here from a, from a fan perspective? I think from a fan perspective, the outrage didn't surprise me, but when I thought about the issue, I really looked at it from two sides. First off, I do think that the entire system, uh, Thorin, one of my former colleagues, had a really interesting take on this where he attacked the system where kids are playing so much. And I think that's something that does need to have a, something to take a look at just because it is difficult to work 60, 70, 80 hour weeks, months in a row. I mean, I, I am a doctoral student in computing when I'm not an esports fan, and I can tell you it will grind you down. And e the sustainability of the system is something that needs to be continuously tweaked. And I think Riot, from some of the tweaks they've made moving forward over the past, call it 24 months, two years-ish, have been trying to answer some of those questions. They're not there yet, but they're getting there. The other side of it is, like, as a fan, you knew they get the blowback, like I said. But then I have to look at the team individually. Like, I love to compete. I love to compete at anything. You know, fantasy football, I'm staring at a WWE-esque fantasy football championship belt from the season that I just won this past year. And let me tell you, I talk trash to the folks in that league all the time. Because I, I love to compete. And... As a competitor, as somebody that's wanted to get to the highest levels at anything that I do, it was just disappointing, and I had a hard time understanding, even in the face of burnout, you know, this is where you get to show your mettle against the very best, 
And instead of rising to the occasion, pushing through the burnout, you kind of shrimped. You kind of curled up and took your beatings. And, and, and it's just, to me, it was just disappointing. Like, I'm not angry about it. I, I just hope that this serves as a lesson to teams. And, and even though I've lamented against the system, I will say these teams opted into this system. So, you know, there's not, it's not just Riot's fault. There is some culpability to go around. There is something to be said about G2 and their decision here being a reflection of an overall mindset problem. If you look at the way that Perks presented himself on Twitter recently, there's been this kind of attitude of, oh, who cares? Oh, I'm going to you know, kind of joke around about this, even when it was very clear from the perspective of his fans and from the reaction that they were getting that this was not something to joke about. And it just felt like this was a team that didn't get why people were upset. And, and I really, to me, the thing that got me mad was not the decision itself. As Walter said, you know, you can make an argument that the difference between being in pool one or pool two really isn't that huge historically as far as getting out. The pool three would have been a big problem. No one's ever gotten out of worlds from pool three. But moving one pool down for your number one seed, it certainly didn't hurt uh, the LMS from getting two teams into the quarterfinals last year. But the bigger thing for me was the way they handled the PR side of it. This whole idea of, oh, but there weren't any good scrim partners because everyone else was on vacation. So, oh, we decided that it wasn't that big of a deal or whatever else. And that to me is just a terrible mindset to have. That was the part that was insulting to me, especially as someone who is part of the EU scrim channel because I was coaching over in Turkey. I know what teams were available. Supermassive was scrimming a lot of very good teams from that very channel. If G2 wanted to, they could have made it happen. And the fact that they would assume that fans just wouldn't notice that or that no one would speak up and say, hey, by the way, Supermassive scrimmed your sister team and it seemed to work out pretty okay for them. To me, that was almost insulting the intelligence of your own fan base. And that, to me, was the bigger problem. If you really wanted to believe that this tournament wasn't as big of a deal or that the break was incredibly important for you from a mental perspective, then at least be open and honest about that. Don't make excuses about the quality of scrim partners or anything else. Just say that the guys were exhausted. Any work we would have put in would have been detrimental and that was the decision we made i would still disagree with that because you could take say one week off instead of two or take the weeks off after msi when the first couple weeks of the regular season aren't nearly as important as say a huge international tournament but at least then i could kind of respect the mentality that came behind it but that we do have to shift to what kind of came after because once it became clear that that PR statement didn't quite line up, the rumor mill starts churning and we start hearing things about Sven and Mithy coming over to G2 potentially. Walter, did that kind of snap everything into place for you? And if so, did, did that make the situation better or worse in your mind? I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting rumor, and there was even a clip of Peke at a Hearthstone tournament, I believe, in, in somewhere in Europe, in Spain, 
uh, where he discussed it and he was like, I don't quite know what's going on either. So not, not, you know, disputing it and saying, Oh, absolutely not. Mithy and Sven are staying with us. Um, I, I don't think that really impacts it at all. Um, to me as a, a, as a fan, it's another excuse quote unquote type scenario where it's, Oh, well, it wasn't just that we needed a vacation. It was, you know, this other thing of, you know, the, our bot lane didn't want to play with us, with us anymore because they found out they were getting replaced or so on and so forth. Um, I think it could be very interesting for the team going forward if that does happen. Um, those are two very, very strong players. And I thought that the bot lane of G2 was its weaker aspect. I thought Emperor and Hybrid did fine, but still didn't quite fit into the rest of the team. And apparently Perks has wanted to play with Zven and Mithy since the Challenger series days. Uh, he really uh, respects them as players and, and has wanted to play with them. And apparently did try out for origin and just unfortunately he wasn't the choice at the time. So it didn't snap things into place, but it added another, not another layer to it that sort of made it go, okay, this is even, you know, more interesting kind of under kind of shows more why the team doesn't seem to be meshing right now. Doesn't seem to be on the same page. So uh, it didn't change my opinion of, of the vacation or anything like that. They just played like, crap yeah no that's fair it certainly no matter what happened whether those rumors are true or not came across in their play but thomas that makes me kind of want to ask the follow-up question because you brought up how in thorin's videos he saw the system as being particularly punishing and having those kinds of flaws in terms of of these kinds of breaks and how riot manages them it does seem like this kind of issue if these rumors hold any merit would not happen if we weren't holding a major international tournament at the same time that all of these other teams across the regions are in the middle of an off-season and retooling their roster to try to get themselves to the best place they can for the summer split. Do you think that this is a direct result of some of the bigger scheduling issues that Riot has in their current league system? And if so, how does Riot fix this moving forward? I don't see it so much as a scheduling problem. I'll be honest. I feel like if it hadn't been MSI, let's just let's just take the MSI thing out of the equation, and it does it, and you move into the summer split. Well, unless the vacation that G two took was such where they fix all these apparent issues then G2 is going to walk into the summer split and look completely silly, or they're going to look completely different. So did it exacerbate it? Sure. But if it's this underlying issue, it's not like something else wouldn't have set it off. And something that really, really bothers me about a lot of this, and I agree that it, it, was, it comes off as a bunch of excuses, whether we want to think of it this way or not, being an esports athlete is a job. It is a job that, you know, these players have chosen to do. The, unless, you know, somebody drug one of the drug perks to a, a desk and made him sign his contract with a gun to his head, which that brings up a whole different set of ethical issues that I don't want to touch on for your podcast. We'd be here until the cows came home. They opted into this. And quite frankly, they, they are expected to do their job. They're expected to do their job to the best of their abilities. And I don't know an argument that can be made 
that says they were doing their job the way they handled it. So it's just like, yeah, they're issues. I understand their issues, but you have like a ham handed PR campaign where five people were talking and saying slightly different things. And now you have these rumors and did the scheduling exacerbate the problem? Sure. But I think the problem was still there and it comes back to just do your job. If you don't want to do your job, it's not like league of legends doesn't have a quadzillion people trying to get to your job space. So I, I don't, I'm not willing to let them off the hook for that. Quite honestly. No, that's a very fair point, and it, it leads to the follow-up question, of course, which is, does this point to internal problems about G2? Do you think that this is the kind of thing, Thomas, that may continue to haunt this organization moving forward? Because if they can't get their players psyched up and ready to go for a big international tournament like this, there is a reason to have doubts that they'll be as prepared and as ready to go for the next three-month slog and uh, in playing for that hopefully world spot, right? I think it, something could happen. It's just that it's it, it's tough to, to 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 answer your question. You have to decide what you believe. Do you believe there are internal problems with the team, or do you believe that folks were really really exhausted? They decided to take a break, and this is just kind of a bump in the road. I don't know enough of the internal workings of the team and, you know, the Reddit rumor mill has been in, you know, overdrive since Perks decided to open his mouth, which get that boy some media training because holy hell, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, as, as a media member, I love it. But as a team manager, like if, if I was managing G2, oh my God, I'd break his fingers for answering that, for putting out that tweet. That is just, that was ridiculously bad. But I, I don't. It depends on what you believe, and I, I like to think I, I, I try and be a glass half full person. I'm going to say it's a bump in the road, and they'll be just fine. Because remember, we're still talking about the team that really did a pretty solid job of coming into Europe and setting it on fire through chunks of this season, particularly in the playoffs. So I, I don't. I don't I don't see this as more than that. Now if massive changes have to happen, suddenly this PR ham-handedness becomes more ham-handed, but it's also more it's more easy to understand if that makes any kind of sense. There's there's so much to unpack with this situation quite honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think it is worth kind of taking both of those sides into account because as you said, we're not in G2's back room. We don't know exactly what's going on. I am in agreement with you that Perks needs to be kept as far away from a social media account as possible. But I've been saying the same thing about Soaz for years, and apparently it hasn't affected his career. So what do I know? But I do think that regardless of what answer it ends up being, whether this ends up being a there were player problems and they needed to make roster changes in their opinion to make sure that they were as ready for Worlds as possible, or if this was an exhaustion issue because of poor time management and they decided that the first couple of weeks of the regular season were worth more than MSI, whatever ends up being the answer, I think that there has been an irreversible change from a fan perspective on what G2 is. Because no one right now is talking about all the amazing things that G2 accomplished during the regular season. They were poster boys of, of what Europe was capable of, the darling childs 
of the scene because they came in and injected this fresh blood and took everything by storm. And now they've got, they've almost become the bad guy in the narrative. They've got the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a good anti-hero from the WWE right now that they've, They've kind of got to embrace at this point because there are some fans that are Dolph going Ziggler. to this. Dolph Ziggler, yeah, perfect example. It's it's going to be one of those things where there are a lot of fans that just are not coming back from this, who are going to look at them and say, this is the team that had the chance to represent Europe on the biggest stage and chose not to. And that's something that I think is going to be interesting no matter what the overall answer ends up being. Walter, at, at the end of the day, is there something that you hope for as far as what happens to G2 at the end of this? Is, is this something where you think these issues and the overall PR will eventually settle itself down? Or is this something that's going to be a, a major storyline as we head into the summer <laughs> season? <laughs> well, I think the story's already kind of been killed by some other events that just happened in the last 24 hours. Um, no, I don't, I don't think long-term it's going to hurt the team, especially if there is a roster change that's going to happen that has been rumored on, on Reddit. Um, like, like Thomas said, like, yeah, I think that Perks needs to get some media training. I think all the players need to get some media training. He is right that this is a job. They do sign on the dotted line that this is a job, but at the same time, we have to remember these are kits. Like I'm 24 almost 25 years old, I still kind of consider myself a kid when you look at the perspective of I'm going to be working until I'm probably 70 years old. Like, I'm still a kid. I've only been in the workforce for about five years. Like, we have to realize that these guys are not people like our grandparents that worked 70-hour work weeks their entire lives. They do need some sort of relaxation. They do need to take some time off. And whether that is misappropriation of time during the actual year of maybe instead of only taking one day off during the first half of the the split, you take two days off. So they have a break. Maybe it is instead of doing 10 hours of scrims, you do eight hours of scrims and give them an extra couple hours. Maybe it is when you don't make MSI, you get six weeks off in between the splits. Like everybody freaking else does. And everybody else got to take two weeks off before they went to Korea to, to boot camp. Whatever the choices are, we need to not look at this as a like, oh, they're adults. They're getting, you know, everybody else works 45 plus hours a week and they only get one day off a week or two days off a week and vacation time and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, this is entirely different than a normal career. This is a very short term, very low paying career for what it's worth. Sure, they get to do something that they love, which is more than most of us can say for what we're going to do in our lives. But we do have to realize that we can't work them like robots for six months out of the year or nine months out of the year and not expect them to not want to take a vacation, not expect them to not burn out or not expect them to stop liking playing the game like certain people like Medios, who said he just didn't enjoy playing the game anymore for the the practice regiment and that he just didn't uh, agree with where the game was in its current state. So... That's where I look at it. I'm I'm of the mindset I don't hate the fact that they took the two weeks off, and I don't hate the fact that they didn't do well at this tournament. They paid the price for it, but they realized that this tournament wasn't worth all that much other than that competitive aspect. And you know what? If they make it to Worlds and they do well at Worlds, they can kind of tell everybody else to suck it. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day is they've got to justify this and what happens to them moving forward. I think people aren't going to care whether or not this team – could have performed better at MSI if they come back through and they start churning off wins in Europe again. And I do want to make one final cultural point about the whole vacation thing. 
Europe takes way more vacation days than North America or China or Korea do. Just it is intrinsic in even a minimum wage contract there. You're getting something like 27 or 28 paid vacation days. This is just something that as a culture, Europe tends to value leisure time quite a bit. Now, whether they made the correct uh, analysis or not, I don't know. Again, not part of the G2 staff. But I do think it is worth noting that there are these factors at play, and it isn't you know, necessarily you know, 100% either like a, a laziness or a lack of drive to win or whatever it is. There are tons of factors in play that might have led them to make this choice. But at the end of the day, it is a choice that they have paid for, and they haven't just paid for it in terms of European seating, but in terms of how they're going to be viewed by the rest of the competitive scene. Because as Thomas said, yes, this is a grueling schedule, but it is one they signed up for. They knew that if they won Europe, they were going to MSI. They had this knowledge, the system has always been this way, and they choose to take this job and, and agree to do the work. And the entire European fan base just saw them actively say, eh, I'm not feeling it today. Which, if I'm a European fan, I, I'm mad too. Do I understand it? Absolutely. Does that excuse all of it? Probably not. But if they start winning again, no one's going to care about this in a couple months. Because as uh, Walter, I'm sure you'd be happy to point out, very few people remember who's won MSI or All-Stars over the years. But we all remember who wins Worlds. And that's going to be what ends up defining this team in the long run. Uh, I guess I'd rather be defined by that than the way that Impulse is going to be defined now as the ongoing saga that was a team that never should have existed in the spring split uh, has now finally come to a close. I guess let's start with you, Thomas. When you saw the competitive ruling come in about Team Impulse, were you particularly surprised by the news, or was this something that we probably could have seen a mile away? I wasn't too surprised. Uh, you know, when I saw the ruling, I, I jumped on Skype and I, I sent out you know a few Twitter things because I wasn't as up to date as I probably should have been on it at first. But I was asking people that have worked that work in the industry around it, and almost universally, it was impulse is just just not good. Like like impulse is it's 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 badly run. It, it's it's a bunch of yahoos doing ridiculousness, and I was just like, oh, okay. Well, this one. Even though the the only question is that I have coming out, and we'll get much more into this when we go to the other competitive ruling, which, you know, <clears throat> spoiler alert, <laughs> is it, you know, it comes down to the products of the system versus the system itself. Are you willing to accept a product that turned out okay when it came out of a system that you can pretty, I think, almost universally believed is fundamentally flawed? Or does the building of the product in the tainted system also taint the product. And, you know, that's really the question for me, but I didn't have a problem with it because, you know, again, horror stories of this group of people just not being very good people to their players. And it sounded like also Riot gave these folks, you know, it wasn't just a, a, a one-off. It was multiple warnings you know, that, that Riot gave this, the, the, the ownership group, enough rope to hang themselves, and much like Sir Alistair Thorne in Game of Thrones, <coughs> spoiler alert, he hung himself. 
I got that reference because I just watched the episode. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, man. This is... <laughs> I was not expecting the Game of Thrones reference, but I appreciate it. I, I think I think that's very fair. It was a an, a, a ruling that I don't think surprised people who have been following the scene all that closely. But on the other hand, it it does you know come t- with this understanding of we we got here from a very broken situation. We we still don't have any evidence outside of what Riot has said, and that's something that again will come into further scrutiny when we talk about the next ruling on our list. And it was something where, according to Riot, and I'm going to read directly from the press release here, quote, during the 2015 summer split, league officials learned that TIP players had not been paid for the duration of the split and immediately intervened to ensure that MPC was paid in full to date for all players. So, Walter, I'm going to turn to you on this. If Riot already knew this was a problem, and we knew that this ownership group was shady, we knew that they were trying to sell the spot for what was rumored to be way too high of an asking price because they were clearly not interested in this. How do we get to this point? Why, you know, do you think this was the right move to let Riot give them that second chance to play it out, or is something as serious as paying players, especially when they do have the workload that we just went into with G2, should they have stepped in harsher earlier? Well, see, if you actually operated as a franchising underneath franchising agreements and operated as an actual league instead of some crazy, weird, legally semi-structured team agreement arrangement, uh, you could just take over the the team like the NBA did with the New Orleans Pelicans when the player when people were having trouble being paid when there were multiple front office issues when the ownership group was demanding way too much money to purchase the team you just take it over holy shit and I get that the NBA Lakers fans are throwing things at you right now so <laughs> just just so I we're clear <laughs> I, I know they are and you know what I understand I wanted Chris Paul to go to the Lakers just as much as Lakers fans did but. If there was a problem, the NBA finally got to the point where they said, all right, we really need to step in. Uh, Here's the other thing. Whenever a player, let's say a player, let's just talk about a player. Whenever a player, like, fails a drug test, the rest of their career, they have mandatory drug tests that the league looks over very, very carefully. And if you are ever so slightly out of line, that's when all of a sudden you start snowballing all these, you know, 50-game suspension, 100-game suspension, year suspension, two years. Like, when you start doing all this, how the hell, how the hell did Impulse go two months in the spring split without making sure that they had contracts? Two months. It says March 2016. The first game of the season was January 16th. Two months. I'll give them a month and a half. How do you let that team not on day one when they've already had issue paying players and paying the, the minimum amounts that they've agreed to in their team agreements? How do you let them on day one field a team, let alone have their icons for sale, their logo up where everyone can, when all, you know, 200,000 viewers can see them? Why do you give them any marketing, any branding rights, anything when they don't have their players contracted on day one and this isn't their first offense? That is egregious. That is ridiculous. That is freaking stupid when they've already had issues and you've already had to deal with them. It's just plain stupid and it's lazy and it just shows that Riot really doesn't know what the hell they're doing. And the next thing that we talk about 
will show just as much in my opinion that Riot still, after two, almost three years, has no freaking clue what they're doing. Here's the part that gets to me on this, and it's exactly what you just hit about. How are they not checked? Here's, here's what I am truly bothered by. Again, this is from the Q&A section of the competitive ruling. Uh, quote, we approached Impulse about the issue, and they deny they owe any players from their 2015 roster any further payment. We verified that all players have received their minimum player compensation, but since there is no written contract between both parties, we have no objective way to determine who is correct about additional money owed. Riot, you had players playing in your league without contracts. You knew this and let them keep owning a team anyway. How little do you care about your own players? That you let this organization continue to field teams without contracts. Because, by the way, they didn't have contracts in March 2016 either. How does this happen? It's one thing if you're not paying your players on time. That's terrible. But at least there's something in writing where they have the ability to defend themselves. The players had nothing. And you let it happen. And you knew that they'd had nothing back in 2015. To me, it's incredible. It's... The ultimate example of sticking your head in the sand and now pretending like you're the good guys by coming out and nipping it in the bud for the summer split, I, it, to me, it's baffling. It's baffling that it took this long. It's baffling that Riot allowed this to happen. And at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to the same thing that we said when it came to Riot and their visa issues. Uh, they only care as soon as it's a problem that could get them in trouble in the long run. That's why they started coming down on visa things when certain teams involved in North America, rumor, uh, according to rumors, I should say, uh, came out and said that this was something that needed to be fixed in the long run. Now Riot suddenly cares about visas, and now that Riot would probably get in trouble if they let Impulse, say, continue to exist in an LCS that is getting closer and closer to franchising, now they care about their players not having contracts. And that, to me, is is the insulting part of all this. Thomas, before we wrap up, I mean, is the outrage there, are we going too far with that, or do you think that this is something that Riot needs to fix moving forward? Well, I think, again, going back to our previous thing, the system, it's making money, but you got to really – I think the system needs – you need a good long look at the system. That, that's really what it is to me. You know, what you're saying, why didn't they force them out then? Why, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I flash to the – you know, we're talking NBA, so I'll throw an NBA reference. You know, when, when the Clippers' ownership got pulled away from Donald Sterling – that only happened because there was a rubber – or a poor, apparently. you know, It was commissioner's powers, but this was also said that there was a rubber stamp from, um, Donald, from the rest of the NBA ownership. And, and so it's like if you see an issue, first off, do you have the solidarity of your owners? Do you even need the solidarity is one thing. Do you have that solidarity to make that decision? And furthermore – is the mistake where you yank people out of your league and there's a lot of money changing hands now in the LCS that you know is the mis- is it worth the potential litigation 
That's the question. And it looks like in this case, much like, you know, it just much like I said, eventually they hung themselves. But it, there, I, th- I feel like as as esports continues to monetize and monetary figures get larger and larger, the is it worth getting our faces potentially sued off question one that is going to be an albatross over these decisions. And you know, I'll do your I'll do your job for you, Chase. <laughs> almost almost segue into the next topic. That's going to be a big deal as we move forward in this show and as the LCS format continues to evolve the world, well, the world over in North America and Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get to that next section here because there was a second competitive ruling. It was Renegades and Team Dragon Knights who were found guilty of, uh, on Renegade's side, allowing Badawai uh, a chance to buy back into the ownership. There was a section on player welfare uh, concerning uh, some issues that Riot has heard uh, these allegations that are unsourced, but supposedly uh, are multiple sources with close contact with the team, according to Riot, and that Renegades and TDK were intertwined in a way that was not uh, properly uh, explained or uh, or handled uh, correctly when it came to the trades that were made. Walter, I know you have a ton of strong feelings about this. Because you messaged me on Facebook and said that there were not enough expletives to explain how you were feeling. So I'm just going to let you start with this. What is your reaction seeing this ruling come down today? Oh, man. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to quickly d- put a disclaimer. I am friends with a player who was on TDK. And I've had interactions with members of TDK. And you you had interactions with members of TDK, actually. Yeah, we and, interviewed Bishu and Kez on the podcast. Yeah, they were great guys. And, and with Renegades. So my vitriol is a little bit harsher because I was a fan of this team and this organization. I am a fan of Monty. And I thought that Chris Bottawai got a screw job over the, the poaching incident. I thought that was completely a screw, screw job. On level with the Montreal Screwdrop for all of you WWE fans. ka <laughs> That being said, this ruling is one of the most damning abuses of unilateral decision power granted by personally owning the IP that Riot has that I have ever seen. And this is why it's so egregious to me. I'm going to go back to sports because that's where I get everything from because that's what I started with was sports. That's what I've watched my entire life. And then gradually, as League of Legends became a thing, I delved into esports. If anything happens in the sports world, there is an inkling of it. If a team might be sold, there's a whisper of it to some reporter and he digs in and he looks at it. If there is a potential suspension, a harsh suspension, not one or two games, it's always leaked to the press beforehand. The fact that three North American NALCS and NACS out of 16 teams, three of them, are getting permanently removed from being allowed to participate in the LCS. And no one had an inkling about it. No one wrote about it until all of a sudden this drops at 11 o'clock Eastern time. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me. It's insanity. Three teams, three of them. And not one of them, not anyone else besides Riot knew this was happening. No one. No one leaked it. 
Jacob Wolf is one of the best bloodhounds, and Richard Lewis is one of the best bloodhounds in this business, and you're telling me they didn't have an inkling? They had nothing? There was no whisper anywhere. Varys and his little birds weren't out there saying, you know, guys, something big's about to happen in the LCS. This isn't Shulk purchasing a team. This is three teams being banned. Banned. Done. Kaput. No more Renegades. No more Impulse. No more TDK. Nothing. Gone. The Moose. And there was no hint of it anywhere on social media, on news organizations, on Reddit, on any of the multiple Skype groups that any of us are across. This nothing. Nothing. And to me, that tells me one of two things. Either Riot has a better, like, security system vault than, like, the FBI or this is a hack job. And in my opinion, it screams that it's a hack job because there is no evidence being released with it at all. Sure, they want to protect the identities of the people who are doing that. You know what you can do? You can like cross out all of their names and you can still put what they're saying out there instead of someone saying, oh yeah, the you know, player safety was involved and you know, players weren't safe. How? Tell me how. Tell me exactly what happened. Is this like when Alltech was sleeping in a goddamn mudroom in Winterfox's house that was converted into a bedroom with a piece of plywood over a door? Tell me how that's freaking code legal, by the way. No, there's nothing that says this other than we're just going to claim that Riot knows everything and Riot is infallible and hasn't ever done anything wrong in their life when, hell, they've already done something wrong to one of the people in this ruling. So give me a break. I'm... I. There's no proof of any of this. They haven't released any proof of this other than their one statement of saying they broke all these rules because we said so. Give me a break. This is ridiculous. I, uh, I want to point to the example that a couple people have brought up when examining whether Riot has any sort of duty to release these kinds of information. There was a ruling on Reggie back in August of 2014 saying that he had announced Lust Boy too early that he had been specifically told not to announce it yet, uh, but he broke the rules, so he was fined $2,000. And Reggie came out and openly said, if you can provide any evidence of this, I will, I will pay that money, and I will match it and give it to charity. So Riot had nothing but gain if they just released anything indicating that this had been the case, and Riot did nothing. It was a pure PR plus had they chosen to open up the door the teeniest bit on what wasn't even that big of an issue, and Riot chose not to do it. And when that happens, then suddenly the whole thing gets called into question because you have to ask yourself, why wouldn't Riot release that information? If someone involved, and it's the only person that could have been involved, is calling for it and saying, sure, call me out. Let me be lambasted for this if I really did it, and you still refuse to put it out there, that's shady to me. That is a big red flag. And given the responses that people have had across the board to these player welfare charges – Every single player on Renegades outside of Seraph and Ninja, who were not there very long, and Freeze, who is currently over in Europe enjoying being on H2K and probably not wanting anything to do with this, every single person has come out and said, I enjoyed my time at Renegades. Even uh, Remy came out today. Everyone had started attacking her and blaming her before we'd heard anything about this. And she said... 
I haven't been in the house for four months. Everything when I was in the Challenger scene was great. I don't know why anyone's bringing my name into this. So I'll ask you this, Thomas. What are the dangers of keeping all of this information within the riot? Well, I think there's a very obvious danger here. And I think that I think it was absolutely illustrated by a couple of tweets that Monte Cristo put out shortly after the ruling came out. And one of the tweets, I don't have him in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase him, but I had no idea about the charges. Mm-hmm. I, this I, is have, the first, I have them right here. If you don't mind, please. Yes. Uh, so Monte Cristo, this is 12 hours ago after they were po- uh, early this morning, actually. So late in the evening, I guess in Korea. For those asking, I was never presented evidence by Riot for these claims, nor did I know most of them existed. I was told of my ban 30 minutes before the post. I was given no time to respond or present any information. I will make a more complete statement in the future, but for the moment have been advised by counsel to wait to say more. Okay, so big thing here. First, Firstly, and this, this terrified me when I read the part where like, I was never really told. Okay, if if you're generally if you're going to charge somebody, I kind of feel like you professionally owe them at least the courtesy to say, "Do you have a reply before we essentially chop your nuts off?" Because that's kind of what Riot did mm-hmm. in terms of Monte Cristo's ability to own a team for the next eighteen months or however long it is. Then, even worse than not asking them, "Do you have a reply?" You didn't ask if there's like any sort of counter evidence that you can provide. So it's like. What's your investigative process? You know, what is your evidence? And because you're not willing to present the evidence, which, fine, you think privacy is a concern, and great. Like, that, that that's a great spot to be in. But it's like the, the – it really, those tweets in my mind, absolutely damned the entire investigative process. Like, you're being investigated. Oh, What's the problem? What can I do to try to try and clear things up? That never happened. It was it. It feels very cloak and dagger. It feels really, really awkward. And then you you couple the Monte Cristo situation with there's no appeals process, or at least there's not a really well defined appeals process. So you know you're just stuck. You can go the legal route, but I mean, okay, are you willing to start a case that? could drag on for years. Uh, Are you really willing to do that? Because it's not an, like I said previously, it's not an insignificant amount of money that we're now talking about here. Mm -hmm. So it it just highlighted some very fundamental flaws in the system. And if there's one thing, like I really do feel sorry for, for everybody involved in this situation. If there's one thing positive that can come out of it, it's that, there needs to be a seat at the table, and it feels like there isn't a seat at the table in this process for players and ownership. It mm-hmm. it feels so painfully unilateral, and that's that. I don't feel like that's a good spot to be in. And, and also, I want to say something because this has been said a bunch on Twitter when you know various people are giving their opinions. Oh well, this is just like. Adam Silver doing whatever for the Clippers, or this is just like uh, Roger Goodell doing something to Tom Brady. It is not like that at all. There has been no collective bargaining process that said this was okay. And that is huge. 
huge. Like that that is that is the bedrock of a lot of what like large scale commissioners, particularly in American sports, do. Yes, Roger Goodell might have overextended himself with the Deflategate ruling, but if you read the appeals court decision, one of the pillars for overturning it is the collectively bargained powers of Roger Goodell, and they're not willing to mess with that collective bargaining. So it's just like, don't use that as an example, but use it as an example for a way to go to give everybody a seat at the table. Like, if you had come to me and said that because of collective bargaining or because of negotiations that are, you know, above board, held, held like, and are a matter of public record, we've decided to get rid of these two teams because they broke Article 1, Article 2, and Article 4 of these collectively bargained rights. I'm like, I mean, sure, show me. I would like to see a little more evidence. But if these folks have been so wronged, they probably have some kind of arbitration process that they can go through. That, you know, mm-hmm. if it's if it's an overreach, that's possible. But there's nothing there. There's there's no there's no group of rights. Riot's just like I'm going to take this right. I'm going to take this right. I'm going to take this right. And oh, I'm going to do this too because part of the, part of it when I read it, and maybe I misread the competitive ruling here, was that. Like there's there's a there there was a provision from that that said Chris Badawi could take over the team once he was off book, and we read that as such. We read that as an agreement violating X Y Z rule. I'm just like, oh my god. I mean, sure, going forward you might get that to work, but ex post facto, ex post facto, changing and extending the rules. Oh man. Oh, why do you do that this way? That was my reaction to a lot of it, and it's just frustrating. Like, the players and ownership need to have, if not a single seat at the table, at least a bigger say in it. Because right now, it just feels unilateral. It feels pretty inconsistent. And, like, again, esports is growing. ESPN's Darren Ravel tweets about esports every other day about how much money it's worth. And, like... When you start messing with people's money on the scale that esports is getting to, you're going to set yourself up for a world of hurt. And that's bad. That That's not where we want to go with esports. I just I can tell you from experience it's not where we want to go. Nah. I, absolutely. I, I do want to just quickly give the quote that you mentioned there. Uh, the quote is under the team ownership qu- uh, session. It said, quote, Further, uh, Mikeless failed to disclose this arrangement during the LCS team vetting process, which we consider an intentional and material omission apparently des- designed to circumvent the clear and public ban of Badawai for the avoidance of doubt had this been openly disclosed. Uh, Renegades would not have been accepted to the LCS. So, okay, if we told you what was actually going on, you would have banned us entirely despite the fact that by its own standard, he is not involved in the uh, institution right now. This is a private dealing that real. There's there's so many things that's that's weird about this. If you didn't ask him, he didn't lie to you. You can't just go back and say, "Oh, but clearly you you totally lied because you must have understood this one very clear clause that." The you know that the league ultimately has the right to make final and binding determinations regarding team ownership, as it says in Rules 3.1. So basically, Riot could have decided no matter what that they didn't want Renegades involved without any real reasoning behind it, which is kind of how it comes across here. And 
I, I think the important thing to, to point out that you, that you nailed, Thomas, is that it's a larger issue of a lack of appeals process and a lack of any sort of accountability. Because Riot owns League of Legends, instead of this being a league that happens to have League of Legends in it, there is no players union. There is no owners union. In any other of these professional leagues, the, the owner of the league is culpable to the owners of uh, each of the individual teams. You have to make sure that the entire board likes you or you won't have a job. And those people then have to work with the players union. And with this, it gets complicated because it's really a three-pronged approach. At least it should be in theory with the Riot Games as the owner of the league and the owner of the game, the owners of the teams, and the players themselves. And two of these three prongs are not represented in any way, shape, or form in the punishment process. And when that is as, as big a punishment as it is, which, by the way, Chris and Sean Shim of TDK, this is something that people are going to ignore because Renegades is the bigger name, indefinitely banned from association or affiliation with an organization in a riot-sanctioned league subject to first review in 2019... And all that they were possibly involved in was a trade with Renegades that apparently did not have enough provisions is all that we were explained here. I so, so, am baffled by this. This is three years you are kicking these people out of esports for something that, by all intents and purposes, could be as clear as just a, a misfiling of paperwork. That's incredible to me. So here's the funniest thing about that. They're arguing that the trade weakened TDK, but nobody had anything to say when Team Liquid had two of their challenger players join their professional team. No one. That wasn't a problem then when it reduced the level of competitiveness of the Team Liquid Academy team. But now that Renegades and TDK do this, all of a sudden now there's competitive integrity stuff. Like, give me a freaking break. And not Give only that, break. it ignores the fact that Ninja wasn't eligible to play for TDK. I interviewed Bishu and Kez about this, and they said, one, they needed a mix-up on the roster because things hadn't been going well. And if you look at how TDK did in the NACS, things weren't going well, even with Seraph and Ninja supposedly on board. And second of all, Ninja wasn't eligible for the one series they needed to win in order to give themselves a shot to make the NALCS. Anyone would make that trade. It would be stupid not to make that trade. I don't know what exactly is, is going on here that implies that there's some shadiness intermingled on the ownership, but that's kind of the problem. As I've read the independence of teams and competitive integrity section about five times, and I still can't figure out what TDK did that was worth a two-and-a-half-year ban from the, from the scene. That is incredible to me. There has to be something there that is so egregious that you have to put it, that you felt this strongly about it, and there's nothing. And with so much on the line, it does feel like a lawsuit is the only real recompense that Renegades has. And certainly it's something that if you look on social media, there are a lot of people that are making the claim, oh, well, if they're innocent, they'll just take it to court and everything will be fine. Thomas, can you just talk briefly about how naive that kind of assertion is as far as having the legal system be the formal appeals, I guess, in this kind of thing? Okay, well, let's, 
let's first off let's let's start with the basics. Pursuing litigation is not cheap. Nine times out of ten, yeah, you can get some pro bono work, but um, I don't know many corporate lawyers that are just gonna give give freely of their time and talents. I, I just I just don't. My father's a lawyer. I know a bunch of lawyers in the area, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, maybe it's different elsewhere, but I just I, that's the that's the first problem. The second problem is the legal system. Nine times out of ten, it, it, particularly in the United States, works at a glacial pace. Mm-hmm. So to get any sort of recompense you'd have to get an injunction to allow the team to compete and let's assume they won well let's just assume they go up against riot they beat riot and they get back into the lcs as they were well then riot could appeal and you have this this long-standing mudslinging battle that it's you don't necessarily know you're going to win i mean Yes, trial by your peers or trials in the face of a judge, you would think would just, you know, righteousness triumphs. But, like, again, go back to the Tom Brady deflate gate stuff. A judge in one circuit said Tom Brady should play. The NFL appealed it to a higher court. That judge, the, the panel said the opposite based on different language. So if that case it doesn't show that going to court is not just this cure-all panacea where, you know, oh, three months from now they'll have beaten Riot. No, 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 no. Three months from now they might have everything filed and we might start throwing out subpoenas or we might start asking for discovery. But it's it's not a fast – it's not a – it's a long-haul process. It's not fast. It can be cumbersome. And – you don't necessarily know if it's going to work. So, yes, if they feel strongly, they can take it to court, but you're not going, it's not going to be quick. It's going to be painful. And, like, if, if they win, could you see a ripple effect? Heck yes. And let me be the first to tell you should discovery, should depositions become matters of public record in a case like that? I would be breaking those court servers to get to read those, to read what was being said, because I bet there would be some fantastic nuggets of ridiculous information, but it's not, it's not quick. It's difficult. It's a huge headache. And you're, it it might legitimately be, do we have enough money to do it? And do we have the time? Because yes, league of legends is a spectacularly powerful esport. but think about what else is crowding into the space. Overwatch had a tournament that had 18,000 viewers during closed beta, for pity's sake. Closed beta, or open beta, excuse me. I'm sorry. So, an open beta tournament. We're like, not everybody is going to download to play for four days. Uh, Clash of Kings, or Clash of Clans, whatever the, the, the eSport version. Clash Royale, thank you. That had a tournament that had like 40,000 people watching, and the prize pool was like 400 bucks in credits. You know, Hearthstone just got through a major at DreamHack, and they had European and they, they had European prelims and all that other stuff. Counter Strike Global Offensive is getting on mainstream American television. Um, Here's the storm is there. I mean, do I need to keep going down the list? So I could legitimately see these teams being like, "Eh, okay, you're being silly. I'm going to go make money and be competitive in another game and still be okay." So it's just – it's probably not worth it, and they might not win. 
I know I had a long, long, long-winded explanation, but there. Yeah, that's just a bad. For, that's a bad sin. That's a bad stance to take. I'm for, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. For the one, the one argument I'm going to make against you is the the Shin brothers and Badawai almost have nothing to lose. Like Badawai is done in League of Legends. So what does he care? He still has a Counter Strike team. He still has this. And you even brought it up yourself. The the ripple effect that this lawsuit could have doesn't just affect League of Legends. It affects all those other esports too because. You know, you have Valve does a similar thing and they have the I buy power player bans that are permanent bans for these players uh, committing uh, committing gambling while they played and throwing a match. You have Heroes of the Storm that are doing, you know, their their regional play. You have Smite that has professional leagues. You have other professional leagues that are going to crop up, as you said, for Overwatch, even for Hearthstone and, and Clash Royale. You're going to have stuff that levels up, but at the end of it all, all these companies, Blizzard, Hi-Rez, Riot, Valve, they all own their IP, and if they don't like someone, they just say, it's my game, I own it, you know, tough toodles, you know, get out, I don't want you around, I don't like you, get out of here, which seems to be the case, particularly in Chris Bottawai's, you know, the way they've gone after him. So, to me, yes, the money is probably the biggest issue of how much this is going to cost but this this wouldn't be the precedent. Pain Gaming already attempted to sue Riot over their poaching punishment for loot. And they attempted to request, and I'm, I'm bringing up the Daily Dot article because I remember this happened. And this is back from the end of April, April 23rd, when this article was published. It basically said they were filing a case in, in Brazilian court and attempted to request an early decision before the May 2 uh, player roster deadline. Uh, but the judge denied the request because the cast presented was not clear cut. So basically the case wasn't really clearly described and he didn't understand it and he didn't get a time to be able to make a real decision in American law. It seems like this would be so much more important because it's discussing IP rights and what the owner of an IP is allowed to do in a medium that is just massively exploding in terms of its competitive viability. You know, that's the one thing with football and basketball. The NFL doesn't own football. The NFL can't tell the XFL, oh, you can't exist because we own football. We own the intellectual rights to football. It's a sport. It's out there. And if Badawai or the Shim Brothers or anyone else who ever comes into this is the type of person that would want to make an extremely long-term impact on esports as a whole, this type of situation seems like the perfect time to say, screw it. Badawai's never owning a League of Legends team again. Even if he won a case, I'm sure he doesn't want to have to deal with Riot anymore. And this could have massive lasting impact over the course of, you know, esports history from now until the end of time. So to me, it doesn't come down to, you know, they're, they're suing Riot to get back into League of Legends. It would be suing them to make their impact on esports as a whole. And that's, that's the fair. problem I have is well, I don't think Badawai or Shim or the Shim brothers care about that. I think they just wanted to own their team. They wanted to compete and that was it. Yeah, which for the record, I mean, they, they have a right to their own personal interests. And as you said, they're never going to get involved in League of Legends again. I'm going to read the rule 3.1 on team ownership restriction and just listen to how vague this is. Quote, the league shall have the right to make final and binding determinations regarding team ownership issues relating to multiple team restriction, and other relationships that may have an adverse impact on the competitive integrity of the LCS. 
So literally, as long as Riot says, oh, your friendship with that guy is uh, adversely affecting our competitive integrity, they can get rid of you. That is so open-ended. They have the right to base. They can make whatever decisions they want. It's their league. If they don't want you in, you're not going to be in. And that's what they did with Badawai. It's what they're doing with the Shem brothers. And it's likely what they're trying to do with Monte Cristo as far as owning a team goes. And while on the one hand, I totally understand where you're coming from, Walter, about wanting them to make this statement that could set the precedent as far as esports are concerned. If you're the owner of Renegades, uh, you've still got a Counter-Strike Global Offensive team that's doing pretty well. Your Halo team is sweeping through some tournaments. They just qualified for the HCS Pro League. They've got a gigantic team. I don't know what that game is, but they've got one. And they're only going to continue to get more and more organizations from here. Why do you want to waste all of this time and energy on litigation against a company that makes billions of dollars and can afford to drag it out and make it as miserable as you for possible? Also that you know that it'll take years and years to maybe win a case depending on what circuit board you're put in front of. And even then, all Riot has to do is say, our rules say that we have the right to make this choice, and this whole case could go out of the water unless there was something that they particularly broke of the rule set that they made and have complete control over. I, I don't think the lawsuit's going to happen for that reason. I don't think it's worth the headache. But it is one of those things where you have to wonder, at some point, Riot is going to make someone mad enough to pursue this legally, or they're going to, at the very least, scare off people that might be interested in getting involved in owning a team. If you're right now looking at the Renegade spot or the Impulse spot, and you just saw that Riot wiped away these guys without a second thought, without any appeals process, without even letting them know of the ban ahead of time, why would you pick that esport to get involved in when Counter-Strike Global Offensive exists, when Heroes of the Storm exists, when all of these other games exist? Riot is making their product less attractive to invest in. And that's why, at the end of the day, you have to imagine that they have to look into this and the reaction that they're getting and you know whatever's going to come down the pipeline. This is something that we'll have long-term effects. This is not going away whether or not a lawsuit formally gets filed. Thomas, at the end of the day, what do you hope to see from this? What do you think is the best case scenario uh, going forward? I think the best case scenario is that this situation does not get basically just considered to be a tempest in, the tea, in a teapot, mm -hmm. that there's enough outrage and enough folks not connected to Riot specifically, but connected to the game and passionate about the game, that the system changes. Like, I think the best case scenario is either, either and or, I'll use the and or here, players and or ownership gets a seat at the table to try and build a system that is perceived to be, and it, it would be more fair because there'd be, different folks with different interests in my mind, the system would be a little more equitable. Again, I don't think this is an issue if these rules had been collectively bargained or there had been 
at least some like nod, you know, a hat tip to the negotiation process between owners and riot or, or whatever. It's just it comes off and here's the problem. It is an ap- absolutely it is a perception problem. You're very accurately saying Riot Games and League of Legends is not the only esports game in town, folks. So, you know, if I if I want to get into it, I have to weigh this. Like, I can tell you as an investor, if I was going to throw, you know, 250 quarter million dollars, half a million dollars at an esports team to try and generate money, I I would have to look long and hard about this process before I made the decision to commit funds because this this would really really bother me. Mm-hmm. But I think the best case scenario is Everybody's got to get to the negotiating table and try and fix the system. I mean, League of Legends has done great things for esports, and I don't think League of Legends is going to magically die off. I I simply don't think that's the case. But just because you've done good before doesn't mean you should stop trying to do good or do something that has been almost universally, you know, slashed by folks that have been around it, not directly related to Riot Games. So I just I hope people get to the negotiating table and they try and fix this because like you said they are negatively impacting their own product with terrible percep- perception and there's no PR spin there's not a PR person in the world that can make this look good there just there just isn't so it it's just it's damned unfortunate as a PR person I want to make it look worse well, there's that. <laughs> As me on the outside, I, I want to make this look worse. And I think one of the most genius things they could have done was re- release it at 11 o'clock at night on Eastern Standard Time and release it at like 8 o'clock at night on Pacific Coast. Because, like, listen, like, I was in bed. I was actually asleep, and I had to wake up this morning to this news and go, holy crap, why? And they've done this multiple times where they've posted stuff at really weird hours and really weird times. And... Right it's, before it's the semifinals weird. of MSI, by the way, just in case you were uh, forgetting that Riot conveniently has something that will distract anyone that might be mad about this. And and again, like I mentioned before, there's no inkling. Nobody else know, knows that this was going to happen. Monty didn't know about it. Badawai didn't know about it. You have all the players of all the teams coming out of the woodwork. Like, what the hell is going on? We brought up multiple things. Okay, if so if Monty and Badawai and the Renegades players didn't know that this was happening, that means that Riot's investigation was hearsay. It was based off of somebody else telling them something and not the actual players, owners, management. They didn't go to the house and like see like, okay, is the house is there even a house or is it just a hole with a tent over it? I you know, stupid stuff like that. You bring up the point of why would you even want to invest into it at this point when this is a system you're dealing with and the complexity owner, Jason Lake who everyone has wanted complexity to get back in ever since they were relegated a year ago, two years ago, um, when Prawley was la- Prawley and Robert X. Lee were last on the team, and then they went off and did their own thing. Uh, he tweeted out at 1 o'clock this afternoon Eastern Time, we're investigating the fiscal viability and responsibility of getting back into the LCS, but relegation makes it an overly risky investment. Spending upwards of a million dollars plus with mere weeks to prepare a competitive roster is pretty risky to say the least. Uh, He then says later, three open at once does lower the value, but there might be enough buyers to keep them expensive regardless. I will say I have heard a rumbling 
that professional sports franchises, other than Schalke and not in Europe, but North American professional sports franchises are very, very interested in esports. And if they are willing to realize that, yeah, maybe we get relegated, but the challenger sees no problem and that gives us the entire off, you know, the entire summer and fall to actually build a real team and get them to practice and you will see what you know foreign players pop up at worlds and maybe we'll bring them over like this is a great time if you're someone who wants to own an lcs team and just get your spot in because i still think everything that riot's done over the past year is still pointing at some sort of franchising system and even in the wake of this this is pointing at like you said now they need to somehow get players and, and owners on a table to actually make decisions because there is no way unless you're and I'm speculating, but unless you're one of the good old boys like Reggie or Steve from Liquid or Jack, you're not happy about this. I can't say that I can't imagine that Rick Fox is happy about this is how the way thing oper- things operate. I can't imagine that Noah Winston and the guys at Immortals are happy if this is the way things operating. I can't imagine that two co-owners of the Sacramento Kings who deal with actual ownership issues on a whole scale are happy with the way things are running. So I still think large-scale change of in terms of how the actual operational structure of the LCS are coming, and this may have just been the final match that's going to blow up this powder keg. Yeah. Even if you are part of the old guard, at some point you have to realize that with a system this open-ended, with so much room for interpretation and so much secrecy behind it, it is only a matter of time before it is turned against you. This is something where Robert Kraft was one of Goodell's biggest supporters for forever until he turned on Brady. And there's even less of an ability for owners and teams uh, and players to be able to come out and deal with these things in League of Legends than there were there. At some point, you have to look at the investment that you put in and say, we need this protected. We need to feel like we have some say in this or else we're just going on Mr. Riot's wild ride. And that's a very uncomfortable position uh, both for future investors and for current investors. And if you're Riot, at some point, it will become too much. You can only get away with these kinds of unilateral decisions for so long before it comes back to get you. And it might not be this one, just because the punishments are so severe and the cost of following up would be too high. But someone will, unless you get to the punch first and you set a standard by which all of the other esports should be occupied. Because if you really believe, Riot, that you want this game to be one that lasts for generations, as you have said in your press release in the previous couple months, then you have to know this is unsustainable. Then you have to understand how this is going to affect your future long-term investments. And you have to understand that changes need to be made if you want a sustainable ecosystem rather than one that will be burned out when the next big thing comes along and Riot isn't the biggest guy on the block anymore. But that's all we can say for now. Obviously, there's going to be more news coming out uh, as people get more and more uh, information. I know Richard Lewis is working on something, so that'll be quite interesting. Outside of that, um, unless something massive comes along, I think that'll be the last we have to say about it. As as we kind of indicated, it was much more about the precedent and the long-term situation than this particular case, which I think is something a lot of people are missing because it's very easy to hone in 
on individual details and miss the big picture. But uh, thank you so much, Thomas, for coming onto the show and, and helping break down the big picture with us. Is there anything you'd like to plug on your way out? I just want to thank you guys for having me. I know that I'm just just a happening fan these days, but I appreciate the conversations. And uh, shoot, I enjoy spitballing stuff. I, I hope that Riot shows some uh, some ability to to learn and evolve as things change because it League of Legends is it's a fun esport to watch. I think they continue to do great things with production. There's some things that drive me nuts, but there's some things that drive me nuts about college football. And I doggone well grew up with that stuff. So you know, I can't I can't fault Riot for stuff like that. I just I hope they continue to evolve the product because it's fun and these kind of decisions just need to be fixed. But no, I, I don't have any shouts, but I have to thank you. Ah, well, perfect. Well, they can follow you on Twitter, right? You have a social media account that people. Can oh yeah, hi. I do have a social media account. You can uh, you can yell at me for my absurd ramblings. I will warn you, I do grumble about big data a lot and uh, research because that is what I do. For entirely too much time every day, my, my my advisor thinks I'm insane. It's a good problem to have, but yeah, hit me up at Thomas H Watts. We can uh, we can we can shoot the breeze on whatever you feel like, and uh, I look forward to talking to whoever you want, whoever whoever wants to reach out. I look forward to it. Perfect. And you guys know you can find me at Redshirt King on Twitter. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Well. I just want to thank Thomas for adding a touch of sophistication in class. Every time you started talking and your southern drawl just started to like flow, I just smiled. And with such a topic as uh, as these competitive rulings, I really appreciated that smile as my anger is like seething from me. It was nice. Uh, you guys can find me at C80s, LOL, and at SlingshotEsports.com. And good riddance to bad rubbish. Riot Light officially leaves Riot Games. Oh, man. That's that's a whole other podcast for another time. But who knows if we'll get to it. If we do, it'll be on SoundCloud.com slash Esports Rough Drafts or on iTunes if you search for Rough Drafts under Podcasts. You can subscribe and make sure you get all of the episodes. Uh, we will definitely be doing a post-MSI wrap-up. And depending on how much uh, evolves from this story... Who knows, there might be something else along the way. But we are going to focus on the actual games being played uh, at MSI going forward. And until next time, goodbye, Internet.